Today on the show, we've got some ideas. Some are ice cold, mm. and some are fire hot. Ooh! <sighs> and Leo, some would say, you're yes and you're no. Oh. <laughs> you're in and you're out. <laughs> you're up and you're out. And perhaps you're up and you're down. Some t- have you ever felt like a plastic bag, just drifting in the breeze? All the time. Wanting to start again? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Gamjabar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name is Leo. And my name's Abu. Oh, and today on the show. Yes. That's my name drawn out. That's your name drawn out. You're excited. We're excited. We have such an exciting one for our listeners today, Leo. We do. Because... Someone else is in the room with us. The hypothetical room, not the real yeah, room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But someone else is in the room with us. <laughs> We're joined today by Quinn. By Quinn. Of YouTube fame. Yes. Quinn, welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you here. I'm very excited to be here. And thank you guys for inviting me. Like actually like over a year ago and I like just saw the message. But yeah, thank you for inviting me. And now I'm here. So... It's going to be a lot of fun. You're a busy person. We get it. Yeah. I love talking about Dune. Anytime you want to talk about Dune, I'm down (laughs) Mm -hmm. for sure. Perfect. Well, we are so excited to have you here. And yes, this has been a year in the making, Mm -hmm. but we're finally doing it. And it's going to be a fun conversation. To be clear, we've been huge fans of you for many years, since perhaps even before we started Gamjabar three plus years ago. Yes. Uh, I will personally say, Quinn, your early YouTube videos covering in-depth Dune, Dune Messiah, some of the earlier books, mm-hmm. played a big part in me becoming interested in the universe and helping me understand the universe. So yes. this is kind of a big moment for me to meet you. You're like a legend in my mind. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for the kind words. Well, I was inspired to read Dune because of another YouTuber as well, and that was Danica, Comic Girl 19. Yes! yes! Oh, she's great. Yeah, she would always talk about Dune in her videos and mention it, and I was like, what is this? And I read it one day because of her. <laughs> oh, cool. So I feel like that's awesome that the chain of influence goes like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Shouts to Danica. We've had her on the show a couple of times. Yes. She's, she's amazing. Awesome. She's an incredible person. Mm-hmm. I also, I was going to echo what Abu said. I have a very clear memory of reading one of the books. It might have been Heretics. And I was like, I just hit a word that I hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. You know, Frank Herbert drops these words occasionally. As always. And I was like, oh, my God, I am lost. And I remember pulling out my phone. <laughs> I was in Bushwick, Brooklyn, pulled out my phone. I went to YouTube. I was like, what does Quinn have to say about this? <laughs> Quinn, help me. <laughs> that is, to, to Abu's point, I think that was a big part of our early exploration of the universe. So thank you. It really is an honor to meet you. Um I think we both, Abu, run the risk of just saying how great Quinn is for the first <laughs> yeah, like, 25 minutes absolutely. of this episode. So, Oh, my ego. <laughs> <laughs> stop, stop, as he beckons for more. <laughs> so let's quickly take care of our housekeeping. We'll make shout out Mapes proud. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Today's episode is going to go deep, probably. So I think just to be safe, dear listener, please have read all of Dune books. All of them. Uh, totally. Frank Herbert's six books, mm-hmm. please. Spoiler warning, all mm-hmm. six of Frank's books. What a great reason to read them all. Absolutely. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And if you haven't finished reading them, go read them. Watch Quinn's YouTube videos to understand them. <laughs> and then come back and listen to the rest of this episode. Mm-hmm. Indeed. 
Now, very quickly, we do want to shout out our Kwisatz Haderach patrons at the top of the show. And today's exciting yeah. because we have been <laughs> shouting out the OG Case Aiken for many months now. But y'all have been so generous at the start of this brand new year. We have new names on this list. Yeah. So to quickly rattle them off, Case Aiken. Boom. Daniel Dion. Boom. Roman Caballo. Boom again. Jonathan Lambert. Whoa. And C.R. Spruill. Nice. My goodness. Yes. That, by my count, is five Kwisatz Haderach level patrons, and that, by my count, is five <laughs> more than we ever expected to have. So your generosity is incredible, and we are so, so grateful, not only, of course, to these Kwisatz Haderach patrons, but to all of our patrons, all of our supporters, it's true. and all of our listeners. You all help make this show possible, genuinely. Yeah. Five Kwisatz Haderachs, the Benny Gesserit is quaking in their boots. They don't know what to do. <laughs> They're like, man, we, we have really... Fucked this up, didn't yeah. we? We were aiming for one for 10,000 years. Now we have five. Right. My God. Right. Well, with our housekeeping out of the way, let's talk about what this episode's going to look like. Yes. Now, today's episode, we have a kind of grab bag of Dune-related questions to talk through with Quinn. Quinn, you're a subject matter expert when it comes to Dune, so we were excited to just mm -hmm. talk big topics. First of all, part two. Ever heard of it. <laughs> ever heard of it. <laughs> right. Is coming out momentarily so we want to talk through some predictions for dune part two mm -hmm. then we'll talk kind of more generally about dune canonicity and kind of the fandom as a whole and then we had a couple of fun questions for you as a youtuber to answer as well epic but before we get to all of that goodness we're going to take a quick break so stick around when we're back we're launching right into it Welcome back, folks. Mm. All right. Without further ado, yeah. no more housekeeping. <laughs> Let's get into the episode. Quinn, mm -hmm. we have a very big question for you right off the bat. It's related to Dune Part 2. It's been front and center in our minds, and we can't <laughs> wait to hear your thoughts on this. Mm -hmm. Do you think we will see Alia in Dune Part 2? Alia. Well, I'm almost certain that we will see Alia and Dune Part 2. Mm. Whoa. Because we do know that Jessica is pregnant from the first movie. Yeah. And we know that Bill Neuve has written the script for Dune Messiah or is in the process of almost completing it. Mm -hmm. And I don't think Dune Messiah can really be done without the character Alia. I think she's kind of a necessary character if you want to continue doing the Dune series. So we have to have the character Alia in some capacity. Yeah. Now, as far as like Will Aaliyah have, like, all of the character aspects that she does in the book from the get-go? I don't know about that, right? Mm. I do think yeah. that the talking, like, creepy little girl is kind of a part of... It's kind of <laughs> iconic when it comes to Doom, yeah. like, from yeah, the yeah. David Lynch one. Like, people kind of expect to see that. But I don't know yeah. if they're yeah. going to go that far with it. And I certainly don't think that she'll be, like, a talking infant. I certainly don't think they're going to go with that direction. Okay, But I do think that... If they choose to show Aaliyah, which I'm pretty sure they will, that she will maintain some of the bizarre attributes from the book that will distinguish her from a normal child. Mm. So we will see certain, she might have certain like weird characteristics or qualities, but not, may not necessarily be what the book describes, which is like a toddler child with like an adult's brain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's what I'm envisioning because that can, that can get a little weird. That might get a little goofy, but yeah, that's generally what I think about that. 
Yeah. So you're you're picturing like the infant, the babe in arms that maybe we'll see mm-hmm. will like maybe be w- way too calm or mm-hmm. like way too intentional with their gaze or something like that. That's kind of what you're picturing. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. But I don't know if we're going to get like what we see in the book where she's like kind of like <laughs> sassing the emperor and like the Bene Gesserit. Like, oh, silence, <laughs> yeah. child. I don't know if it's going to go to that degree because I don't know if like that fits the tone of a Villeneuve yeah. movie yeah, really. That's a good point. Yeah, totally. I mean, that scene in particular is something that I've been thinking about. Yeah. I don't know that we'll see Alia even confront the Baron and perhaps yeah, the right. Baron's mm-hmm. death will be handled differently in the Villeneuve movie. Yeah. I think almost certainly that it will. Yeah. You think so? Mm-hmm. I don't see um, Aaliyah being the one that hits him with the Ganjabar. Ooh. So how do we think? Oh my gosh. How do we think Baron's going to die if Ali is not the one who does it? I hadn't even considered this. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But um, I think there's a few interesting ways to do it. I mean, they might do the thing where it's maybe Fade that takes him out. Mm. I think that's an angle that it could potentially go because it's like interesting. Fade wants to kill him anyway. Right. So it's like um, that's already something that's going on. Yeah. Or it could be something. I don't. I don't. There's there's various ways to do it. I totally. I don't know if they're going to go the route that it is in the book because David Lynch semi did that, and it's that David Lynch scene. The death of the Baron is like the goofiest thing <laughs> yeah. you'll ever see in your yeah. entire life. So yeah, I definitely expect something a little different. Yeah, especially based off the tone of Villeneuve's Part One. Yeah. Right. Like the the mm-hmm. tone is less campy. Absolutely. Than something like a Lynch film or even something like the sci-fi channel adaptations. Or even the book. I would Mm. say that the book definitely has like a little bit of the 1960s sci-fi campiness to it. Yeah. Even though it has a very serious tone, it's very like, take this seriously. Yeah. I still think that the camp and the hokiness comes through. It's like watching old Star Trek. Totally. Yeah. Even in a serious episode, it's like, I know this was made in the (laughs) 60s. I can tell this is made in the 60s. Yeah, the you've met the Atreides Gamjabar like line from a toddler. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the it's, it's Shakespeare. Like it becomes Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. I think just to be spicy, I'm gonna I'm gonna say my prediction, borrowing from you, Quinn. I think maybe Fade does it, and maybe Fade because we keep seeing all these clips of Baron with those like IV drippers, like the medicine drippers floating, following him. Maybe Fade like unplugs them, and Duke Leto finally gets his posthumous you know, revenge. Yeah. You know, cause I feel like his sickness has been such a part of the promotional materials and those final scenes in the first movie. That's, that's my prediction. And then I'm going to be very wrong or very right. So, uh, <laughs> exciting. I love it though. Yeah. Be cool. That's a fun theory. Well, Quinn, you mentioned that Villeneuve is writing or is in the process of writing Dune Messiah and the sequel. Do you imagine that that is where Alia will start to take more center stage. Well, absolutely. And like, she'll have like a lesser role in part two, and then we'll see her in the sequel. That sounds right to me because um, that's the way it is in the book kind of as well. Right. And also Aaliyah will be maturing at that time. Right. She's like commenting to her own. She's becoming a young woman. So I definitely think Aaliyah will definitely play a significant role in Villeneuve's Doom Messiah. And as Paul like kind of becomes like this less and less human figure and more like this distant god-like being yeah Aaliyah could potentially be like the grounding point that grounds the viewer of the movie to the universe like we, we might see it from her perspective a little bit more i think the perspective might shift yeah yeah that's totally fair and you know i find myself completely agreeing with you when i was thinking about this question and sort of jotting down my notes for our conversation today 
I came to the same conclusion. I think we will see Alia because the first movie, like you said, Quinn has established that Jessica is pregnant. Mm -hmm. And Leo and I actually went to go watch the IMAX re-release that happened recently. I missed it. Oh. Oh, it was so fun. It was so fun. And it's been a while since I've seen the film. And I forgot there's actually like a flash of a baby mm-hmm. as well. So like the Alia is even in the first film and in, in like a quick flash forward scene. So I think it would be weird to not include Alia at all in part two. So I agree. I think she'll be there. I also agree that there is like a line of too weird mm-hmm. for like the common moviegoer to, to stomach. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the book certainly crosses that line, but it's more palatable because it's 60s sci-fi can't be sci-fi book. So you just kind of roll with it. I think Lynch took it in a direction that proved putting it on screen makes it too silly to watch, like watching a toddler mm-hmm. speak in full sentences and murder people is is perhaps yeah. too silly to watch on screen. So I, I find myself really agreeing with you, Qu- Quinn. Like, I think we're going to see Alia in a lesser role in part two, yeah. but she will be there to set up a much larger role in a future hypothetical Dune Messiah movie that we, we will get, hopefully. On the topic of babies, I'm pretty sure mm. one baby they're going to cut is Leto, uh, Paul and Charlie's oh. first child. I don't think we'll see that in any way in the next movie. Mm. I don't think we're going to get, they have that baby and it gets killed. Yeah. Um, because even in the book, it kind of just happens and then yeah. they kind of just move on from Off it. page. Yeah. So a lot of people forget about it too. Yeah. That's exactly the type of thing that I think Villeneuve would cut. Yeah. So that's definitely a baby we won't be seeing <laughs> in my opinion. I agree. I agree. And that is one baby that we won't see in part two. You won't believe these 10 babies that don't appear in <laughs> yeah. part two. Although, you know, I, I do want to say uh, there will be people that will message us after this episode talking about that blue ribbon theory, right? Everyone has seen Chani in the trailer wearing a blue ribbon. And there's like a, a lore tidbit from the first book where a Fremen woman who has been pregnant and given birth to a child, wears some sort of ribbon in her hair of a certain color. And so folks online are convinced that perhaps that means that Chani is pregnant or interesting has already had the child. Maybe they'll do it. But I, I actually find myself agreeing with you. I think that's a baby we're not going to see. I, I think there's so much more to cover in this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I don't think there's room for a, oh no, my child was killed by the Harkonnens plot line. I was going to say, there's really almost, there's no room for it in the book, right? I feel like there's almost yeah, no right. reaction to it at all in the book. Yeah. And then it's yeah. never mentioned again for the rest of the series that Paul right. Atreides had a son before, you know? Absolutely. So I just, yeah. I think rereading Messiah yeah. and Dune and Dune Messiah as we did our book club, I was struck by how much the trauma sits with Chani and how much the trauma of losing her first and only kid with Paul was like something that is like subtly in her character. But I think you're also 100% right that like that is the subtlety we don't have time for. And mm-hmm. it's the subtlety that Denis Villeneuve has already demonstrated that he's okay to remove mm-hmm. if it makes a better piece of art that is a movie adaptation of a book. Yeah, for sure. Well, while we're on the topic of who will and will not be in Dune Part 2, we do have another question here Yeah, about another character. This one is a particular favorite of Leo's. So he's going to be quite <laughs> passionate in his response to this question. But Quinn, I'm curious to hear from you first. Do you think we'll see Fenring in Dune Part 2? Because we've seen no yeah. clue of him in any trailer or promotional materials. 
So with Finring, I'm kind of 50-50 on Finring. Mm. And I think mm-hmm. that if we do see him, that I think he'll have a more minor role. I think they're highlighting Margot right. because they realize that the Bene Gesserit are very cool and mysterious <laughs> and interesting. Mm-hmm. And they want more Bene Gesserit kind of shenanigans on screen. So, Because we don't see that much of them. Like we see Jessica and we see guys, Helen Mohayim. Yeah. So I think Villeneuve wants to highlight the Bene Gesserit and show more of the Bene Gesserit. So I think that we'll see more of Margot Fenring as opposed to the Count himself. So that's my take. If we see him at all, I don't, I'm leaning towards no. I'm really leaning towards no mm. on like him actually appearing. Mm. And if he does appear, I'm, I'm thinking that it's very minor. Mm. Yeah, only for a little bit. So that's my general take on that. Yeah. But I could be wrong. So Margot's arm candy. Yeah. It's like, oh, who's that guy? <laughs> oh, he's, we don't even need his name. Yeah. Here. Yeah. And then again, you kind of don't expect to see him at the end of the book either. So maybe it'll be like a surprise that, oh, here he is. So yeah. Abu and I are split. I like that you're 50 50 because, yeah, Abu and I uh, together collectively. We are the 50 We are the 50 50. <laughs> each side of the Abu's 50. Abu's like, no way. <laughs> Definitely, they're all, all of his actions. We're going to see Irulan as the sort of investigator who's come up with these ideas. She's the mind behind this, like, who is Muad'Dib? And she's the, she is the kind of the intelligence mm-hmm. next to Shaddam that Fenring would be in the book. And then you're right, like, Margot, we're seeing her. We're seeing the Bene Gesserit. We're seeing these women kind of being given their proper space in the narrative. That's very cool. But I, I do, I love Fenring so much. So I hope he is. <laughs> and I think he will be, but it's again, it's a, it's a, I'm either going to be very right or very wrong. I, I just want to point out, we re, we rewatched the first movie recently and Mohayim says to Jessica, like if Paul fails, like if he dies on Arrakis, we've got other prospects. True. And that line, I was like, okay, maybe this serves the one scene and that's it. But also, we know Tim Blake Nelson was cast in this movie and hasn't shown up anywhere. He's not even on the poster. We have Shishakli on like one of the Dune movie posters, but we don't have whoever Tim Blake Nelson is playing. Right. So I think he's going to, to your point, Quinn, I think he's going to appear very subtly in the movie, like around. And then I, I'm hoping this, this would be so satisfying. I hope he shows up at the end of the movie in a like moment with Paul where they're like face to face and maybe Paul has like prescient flashes, you know, like he, the way he did with Jameis mm-hmm. where he's like seeing all the ways he's dying to this person and he's going, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah. And we're all going same. Who is he? Mm-hmm. And then I want that to be a moment of he's been here all along, but he is this sort of anomaly because he was a Kwisatz Haderach potential. Yeah. What do you think? Leo. Yeah. I would challenge you on that a little bit. Sure. Because that's very surprising and cool for you because you've read the entire Dune Encyclopedia <laughs> and you've read every book backward sure. and forward, yeah. you know, five uh-huh. times. Is that cool for someone who just went and walked into the theater knowing nothing about this movie and then seeing this random guy show up <laughs> at the end mm-hmm. and then no explanation given and then a knife fight happens, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. I hear you. Uh, <laughs> I think it would drive a lot of people to Quinn's channel and to our podcast oh, okay, to have that okay. unanswered question at the yeah. end. And I think Villeneuve is a homie, so I think he's going to help us out. <laughs> it kind of it kind of works in a weird way, like right. Let's say like Finring is kind of around the whole movie in the background, like in a way that you don't really pay attention to him. You don't really see him, mm. and then you finally see him at the end because it's like how Paul can't 
see Fenring at all. And then you'll see him like at the last moment, like, oh, he's been here this entire time, but now I'm, now I can actually see him now that he's right in front of me. That'd be interesting, kind yeah. of. But I don't know how well, like, like to Abu's point, yeah. I don't know how well that works yeah. cinematically, right? Versus, like, in my mind, it sounds like super cool. But how does that, how well does that work cinematically <laughs> yeah. for like the average moviegoer that's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah. If if we can give Denny some advice <laughs> on how to make a movie, <laughs> He's, he clearly needs some help. I mean, come on, his last few have been fine, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of picturing like even Fade's birthday party. Maybe we've already seen a cone of silence once. Maybe we see Baron off in the distance, right? With with a mysterious figure in the cone of silence as foreground. Margot is like seducing Fahid mm. Ratha. Huh. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, that would be very cool. And then again, I, I was noticing things watching this movie again, watching the first movie again. It would be a cool level to go. Who is this guy at the end? And then to go back and rewatch and go, oh, he's actually been in a few of these scenes. Yeah. The other, the very other real possibility is you're right. It would confuse the average moviegoer. And maybe uh, Margo and Irulan will kind of absorb his responsibilities. And effectively, Tim Blake Nelson will just play another character like uh, Otto Aramsham, who was the sort of car captain captured by Paul. So it's possible he'll just be sort of a a speaking role, but not someone who's like hidden from Paul's prescience or something like that. Yeah. Well, I'm rooting for the, the Finring fans. I hope, I hope he gets his day. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. There you go, Leo. And I think what's most exciting about these characters is that we have seen such little of them. So as Dune fans, it's hard not to speculate. Like, are they holding back a huge surprise for us? Is there a big reveal? Like Alia reveal coming, yeah. you know, because there hasn't even been casting rumors. There no no like child actor has been cast in the film as far as we know, and so yeah, that of course leads to a lot of speculation from the fandom. A lot of people are worried about CGI Alia, yeah, which I don't yeah. think he's going to go that direction. No, no. I don't think yeah, so. I don't think so. It'd be weird. It'd be I think it'd be too weird. But and I don't. I just don't think it's Villeneuve's mo. No. Yeah. Have you watched any of his other films? Blade Runner. Yeah, absolutely. Sicario. Yeah, it's not important enough to have a CGI. Yeah, right. Alia. I mean, I think Villeneuve is just a lot more subtle than that. Right. Absolutely. There's also like we've talked about all of the ways that you can solve the Alia problem, and many of them are creative and rely on practical solutions. Which is Denis Villeneuve. Like, if he can put people in a big room, he's going to put people in a big room, and minimize the vfx as like the pivotal moment in the scene right so yeah save it for the big arrakis battle at the end you know more (laughs) ornithopters blowing up yes oh so we want to see less alia cgi (laughs) the vfx team is like we have 170 more ornithopters blowing up don't you have other things and he's like no (laughs) right more make them look good Well, we're already sort of bleeding into our next question, so we might as well get into it full on. Mm. Quinn, I'm very curious to hear your answer. This is a bit more open-ended. Okay. What do you think for Dune Part 2 to be successful and like really hit for both us as super fans, but also hit for the average moviegoer and average science fiction fan out there? What do you think is non-negotiable in regard to adapting that second half of the book? What has to be in the movie? Okay, so I think the movie needs to contain this a sense of foreboding, mm. right? And I think the first one pulled this off to some degree. Yes. 
Yeah. But Doom 2 should definitely leave you with a sense that things will get worse from this point on. Yes. Amen. Right? So yeah. we talk about David Lynch a little bit. Like at the end of David Lynch, it's Doom. <laughs> it rains. Do tell. It rains on Arrakis. It does. And this yeah. to me symbolizes, you know, like the fulfillment of the Fremen prophecy, like the Lisa totally. Al-Gaiv yeah. has freed the people of Arrakis. <laughs> he is their savior. He is yep. the Messiah. Except if you've read the book, you know that the Fremen prophecy is a sham. Mm -hmm. Like Paul is not yeah. the Messiah. He does not have the power to crack stone with his voice or like conjure up rainstorms. <laughs> so right. we should end with kind of the complete understanding that Paul is not a god. Yeah. But he's in fact a man who wields immense power. And we should understand that decisions made by decisions and actions made by people who command this kind of power it kind of has a ripple effect. And then like the more powerful the person, the bigger that kind of ripple is, mm. right? Yeah. And Paul wields more power than any other human that's ever lived before him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And as human beings, like just like all human beings, like Paul is susceptible to corruption and, and poor judgment and self and selfishness. And as he like rules from Arrakis, you know, like Arrakis is, is becomes his like seat of power. Arrakis itself becomes like the center of this ripple that sends a ripple out through the entire human universe. It already kind of was because of the existence of spice and all that. Right. But the bottom line is any action that Paul, that Paul takes and like any event that takes place on Arrakis will send a ripple throughout all of the human universe. Everything that happens on Arrakis has tremendous effects on all of humanity. So we need to be left with the sense that what we just saw on this single world on Arrakis will affect not just the Fremen, not just the Atreides, not just House Harkonnen, but like everybody. Mm -hmm. This is something that's happening to all of humankind. Yeah. And I think that it's important for the movie to like express the weight of this and like what this means. And I think that's I think that's one of the most important aspects of all of Dune. It's like this is about all of humanity and things are gonna get way bigger and more expansive and crazier from here. That's my main thing that I want the movie to leave us with. Yeah. <laughs> you, you make such a good point. And I'll, and I'll say like, you know, we see Timothy in the tent saying armies carrying my banner, you know, at the, all of this stuff that happens <laughs> like that is there's a there's worse stuff that Paul talks about, you know the universe in which he confronts Baron himself, according to the first book, it's like darker and worse yeah. than the Jihad that takes so many lives. But Still, the jihad happens. It can't be happy ending, happily ever after. Mm -hmm. Woo, Paul, yeah. You know, it. this is his one of his worst case scenarios. And we've already seen some of that in the first movie in some of his prophesied visions. Yeah, that's such a good point. I'm, gl I'm glad that that's, yeah. I agree. I, I think we're completely on the same page there as well. Like I'm almost imagining, I know Marvel movies have ruined the post-credit <laughs> scene. But there is a world, because of course we know Dune Messiah is in the works. I think I know where you're going. There is a world where Denny sets up Dune Messiah in a potential like short post credit scene where we see something like the Jihad break out on a different planet, right? Or we see, I don't know, some, some sort of scene yeah. that, that sets up that not all is well. How about this? And that we we didn't win by the end. How about this? Like the end credits, like right, the credits roll and then it cuts to black mm -hmm. and we mm -hmm. see just like random planet mm -hmm. we've never seen before. Like this family and they're enjoying themselves. Like everyone's yeah. running through fields and stuff and they look up in the sky. 
the Jihad has come, like the freaking oh. ships in the sky. Yeah. We see the Atreides banner waving. Yeah. And like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, these people yes. are about to get screwed. Uh, no, absolutely. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that just gave me chills visualizing that. You know, yeah. Because uh, imagine looking up at like an invasion force yeah, yeah, yeah. coming down. We see that in the first movie, right? Mm-hmm. Gurney looking up and seeing the Highliner and seeing all of the the Sardaukar and the Harkonnen ships. Absolutely, it could mirror that same moment of foreboding of like the kid throws the ball to the other kid and the ball bounces away forlornly. Right. Not played right. with any longer as innocence right. dies. Scruffy mm-hmm. fetch, scruffy fetch. <laughs> scruffy goes <laughs> clean off the cliff, the cliff face. Scruffy's Holy dead. Shit. We're all weeping. The jihad is arrived. <laughs> yeah. So epic. I, I love that. I'm, I mean, we should pitch this first of all to Warner yeah. Brothers, but <laughs> hire us. <laughs> Hire us. Completely. I, I couldn't agree more, though. That, that sense of foreboding, that idea that when we get to the end of the first book and when Paul takes the throne, it's a very bittersweet moment. And even Paul himself recognizes this. Jessica's sort of uncomfortable with Paul leaning into the Messiah. You know, everyone's sort of a little bit uncomfortable with what's happening. Yeah. And this is where I believe basically every single adaptation of Dune up to this point has completely misstepped you know every adaptation certainly the lynch one as we've discussed but i think the sci-fi channel one also just sort of leaned into this like he's the hero and wins at the end roll credits it's hard to resist yeah it's hard to resist because he is such a charismatic leader as as we know from the book yeah but i I couldn't agree more this like seeing the rise of paul muadib the messiah needs to be sort of an uncomfortable experience for the viewer. There needs to be a a lot of skepticism all throughout. And then, as you're saying, Quinn, there needs to be some foreboding and an uncomfortable feeling of bittersweet at the end of the movie. I will say I'm optimistic that that is the direction we're headed, because based on the trailers we've seen, we have characters like Chani, like Gurney, questioning paul's decisions right even jessica sort of questioning his decision to lean into the messiah to lean into the religion to push back on the prophecy right we still see characters like stilgar like really being like oh my god you're the messiah please save us i think villeneuve gets it i I think he gets it yeah and i and i i've thought that since before he even before the movie even came out like the first few things that he'd said about Dune, i was like this man understands what's going on yeah in a way that like most people do not and i feel like he's proven himself like time and time again with every statement that he said about Dune. like every yeah i've I've just seen it and i I think that he gets it and he understands what it needs to be that this is not the story of of us of a savior or the hero of mankind completely completely and what's funny i don't know if you you two have seen that clip of timothy chalamet in some press interview but he accidentally let slip like oh paul atreides haha hitler future space hitler and he clearly like shouldn't have said that it was like clearly a mistake Uh, and of course it went viral after that but that i i was very reassured to see Mm -hmm. because if timothy chalamet knows where his character is headed that means denny knows where it's headed that means they've talked about it at some point or there are some scripts out there floating that follow in that direction mm-hmm. i think you're absolutely right Gwen. denny understands dune in a way that i think no one else who's tried to adapt it or has adapted it has understood it absolutely and i, I think we're in for a treat when it comes to hitting those big themes at the end of the book i always think about that entry from irulan's writing 
at the beginning of it's like the second to last chapter where she goes and recall like Muad'Dib is the one who makes the skin uh, drumheads out of the skin of his enemies. Mm -hmm. And that leads you into like this moment of triumph of Paul taking the throne and being happy. And you're like, wow, even as he takes the uncreased Jordans from Shaddam says, give me your (laughs) house, your throne, your daughter's hand and everything. Give me everything. The Jordans too. Uncreased. I see (laughs) all of that happens. That's great. But the chapter begins with Irulan going, Oh yeah. And this dude skins his enemies and makes drums like war drums out of them. Right. Or at least that's how he's remembered in history. That's how he's remembered in history. And also, allegedly, I mean, I don't know. I wasn't there. I I wasn't there. I don't know. I I, I didn't see no skinnings. I didn't see no skinnings. I heard the drums. The drums sounded great. (laughs) Couldn't tell what they were made of. Um, I wonder if if we'll get something like that. Like of someone maybe fade to black into the movie. Yeah. And then just on screen, quote, and Muad'Dib, you know. Yeah, makes and and we all go. Oh shit, that's not what I expected. Or Leo, let me do you one better. Fade to black credits, end of the movie, post scene credits. We see stars in space, right? Mm. And then Irulan's face fades <laughs> up from the blackness. Yeah, wait, I forgot to tell you. Suchi <laughs> <laughs> does in the David Lynch. Like, I forgot to tell you. Sorry. I have more things to say. I faded out right, too soon. Right, right, and then she fades out, and then weirdly comes right back in again. Also, I had the, I remembered. <laughs> That's the post credit scene I want. Actually, I take it all back. And then Spider Man shows up, and it's a whole. It's the MCU now. Right. Then it's a love triangle. Right. Timmy's. Oh, and, uh, oh true. Oh, snap. Oh shit. Yeah. True. All right. Well, let's take a quick breather here, gang. Quinn, you've been excellent. This has been such a fun conversation so far. We've been focusing a lot on Dune Part 2, but after the break, we're going to get into some larger Dune questions with you. So stick around, dear listener. We'll be right back with Quinn in just a little bit. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you enjoyed your break. Hope you enjoyed some drumming on uh, drum skins (laughs) made of something. Uh, We've we focused on Dune Part Two, but let's actually transition now to talking kind of more broadly about Dune. Uh, Quinn, uh-huh. we have all heard the rumors, right? That Dune Messiah, the script is coming along. Maybe it's even done, and so exciting the idea of this trilogy. Mm-hmm. Abu and I have talked a lot about the later books <laughs> in all of their weird glory. Mm-hmm. What, in your opinion? is the sort of ideal scenario for adaptations of those books. Okay. Children of Dune, God Emperor of Dune, Heretics, Chapter House. Do we get adaptations? Do we Do we not? What's What's the sort of, what do you think would the, the best case scenario would be? I think the best case scenario, what I just see in my mind when I think, okay, if we could just do it and we were going to get this and it was going to happen, I think Children of Dune should be like one longer movie or maybe like two mm. movies. Right. That's what I think for children mm-hmm. of Dune. I mm-hmm. think it would work if either one long movie or like maybe two movies. So I think that would be great. But then when we get to God Emperor, I don't think God Emperor could be done in a movie, in movie style. Mm. God Emperor would need to be like some kind of six part mini series, is what I imagine. Mm. Like five part, six part mini series for God Emperor of Dune. So I think that would be super cool. Yeah. But I don't know how well God Emperor will work as a, as a as an adaptation anyway. But I think it definitely like it doesn't have like the movie flow or the movie vibe or like 
yeah. a movie type narrative at all. Where I think Children of Doom like definitely lends itself way more to like an action science fiction movie. There's a lot that happens in Children of Doom that can that is cinematic and can be totally cinematic. While God and Broken is definitely like this more slow, cerebral totally. tale, like this accounting of like this worm god creature. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. Heretics and Chapter House, I think would be best combined into like an mm. like an HBO type TV oh. show that would go on for like three or four seasons. I think. I think. Uh, I oh, think wow. a Heretics Chapter House TV okay. show. In fact, when they were doing the Sisterhood of Dune, I was thinking like you could totally just do chapter Heretics and Chapter House and just have it like set way in the future because it's totally disconnected yeah. from like the Atreides saga in the, totally. the first three. It's like so many thousands yeah. of years in the future. So when they announced Sisterhood of Dune, I was thinking like, oh, don't do the Brian Herbert book because like I, that that's whatever. I'm not going to bash it, but, but that's not the deal. Like, let's do, let's right. just jump right. to the future and like yeah. do, and, and the, let me see what Odrade is up to yeah. and, and, and all those characters. Yes. Uh... I think that's way more interesting. And then like throughout that show, it would be referencing like events that took place. Mm. In the Villeneuve movies, maybe. And I think that would be really, really right. cool to see that play out because I don't think it would necessarily like spoil anything because, like I said, it's so distant. But it, I think that would really, really work totally as yeah. a TV show. So that's wow. my vision. If I was in charge, yeah, <laughs> just reiterate two, yeah. two Children of Dune movies, God Emperor miniseries, Heretics Chapter House TV show. Wow. Somebody put Quinn in charge. Yeah, please. <laughs> we'll get Brian out of there. You can be in charge of the estate. I like the idea, too, of splitting children into two. Because clearly, like, with the moment that Leto and Ganema are separated, mm -hmm. would be a very good, like, halfway mark. Mm -hmm. I like that idea a lot. That'd be very good. That'd be very cool. He's so good. Yeah, we, yeah, we've struggled a little bit to identify, like, what, you know... Would you have it kind of maintain the same sort of stylistic choices that Villeneuve is doing? Would we want to put another director in the place of like, do what Villeneuve was doing, even though you're a different director? Would you want them to kind of make it their own? What do you think on that? That's an interesting question. I don't know if Villeneuve has any interest in doing anything after Messiah. Yeah. But um, if we were going to go with a different director, we would definitely have to get someone... Maybe like a, I don't know, I don't even know who, but like someone that yeah. has their own style for sure. We wouldn't mm -hmm. want someone okay. yeah. aping what Villeneuve is doing because that, I feel, right. I feel like that never works when it's, it, it comes off as like a cheap imitation. So we would need a yeah, director right, that right. cares about the source material and also has their own way and their own style of doing things for sure. Yeah. Maybe someone whose name rhymes with Moda Pauski. <laughs> <laughs> he's still around he's allegedly. still around he would, I, he would definitely do it he would, and it would be some weird shit too <laughs> it would be some weird shit yeah I was saying I, I think the Dune miniseries they made the right choice with aging up Leto and Ganema mm. right because again yeah. I think we fall into that same problem that we would have with you know like a talking toddler Leah which is just like if they're the age they were in the book I feel like it wouldn't play as well on screen so we would definitely need to age them up I think that's yeah. Something. Yeah, I think I think the the sci-fi miniseries we talked a lot about it between Children of Dune and God Emperor of Dune. I think they they have their flaws, but they did a good job of like making some bold creative choices right. and ones that I think are are defensible. And mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that they're like the best choices that they could have made, but they made choices, and that's better than like, well, I guess we'll just get the VFX team on it. It's like, well, do you need to do that? Also, because like James McAvoy 
as Leto was phenomenal. Like he was great. I loved his acting. It was a lot of fun. Yes. I loved the roar. <laughs> I'm the a worm worm. Worm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I'll And I'll just say, this is another topic that Abu and I kind of disagree on, but yeah. I've been trying to change his mind over the last like year or two. And I'm going to, one more stab. I'm going to try to change your mind, Abu. Okay. I'm ready. I also, I think that they could no. be a, da- <laughs> damn it. <laughs> well, I tried. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Continue. <sighs> Fine. Okay. I see two acceptable scenarios. Uh, and I agree that like, I think the adaptations would have to have their own life. I don't think aping Villeneuve is the right strategy. I seem to remember Villeneuve at some point saying that he just, after Messiah, he kind of wants to yeah. go on and do something else. Um, mm-hmm. So one scenario that I've kind of dreamed up is Guillermo del Toro, who uh, does like either like a live action or stop motion adaptation of each of the movies. And he just makes them really long and super uncomfortable and you deal with it because he's Guillermo de Toro and he makes things that make people uncomfortable and he's fine with it. Like I'm still, I still have nightmares from Pan's Labyrinth. He doesn't care. Pan's he's Labyrinth. Guillermo de Toro. That's one of the best. I know it's off topic. But that's one of my favorite movies of all time. Pan's Labyrinth. It's I unbelievably go. good. It's incredible. Yeah. Anybody that has not seen Pan's Labyrinth, like do yourself a favor and watch it. Oh my God. <laughs> Really? <laughs> Abu! No! Really? I know, I'm sorry! Holy I know! Crap. I know! Well, Dude. you're actually in for a treat because you just I put know. it on. I mean, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, it's so okay. good, Abu. I'll, I'll have to watch it. Uh, I, I know, I, you know, of course I know it's good. I just, you know, I have have a really hard time watching movies. I recently discovered Abu hasn't seen Mulan. And Abu also hasn't watched an episode of Futurama, except for the oh Dune episode. <laughs> I don't know if yeah. you guys know, but like I love, 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 love Futurama. Like Futurama is my yeah. all-time favorite like sci-fi cartoon. There's so many references. <laughs> That's funny. Oh my god, I love the characters. Yeah, oh. I'm right there with you. And I loved the Hulu season too. Like the Hulu, the mm-hmm. modern Hulu season was very good. You know, you know, I'm not right there with you because I've never seen it, <laughs> but I hear you. And yes, Pan's Labyrinth is going on the very long list of things good. I need to catch up on. Good. We'll we'll follow up next time we're all together, Abu. You will have seen Pan's Labyrinth, and you can. <laughs> okay, great. And and also, and I will say, not for nothing, for those of you who have seen Pan's Labyrinth and have read God Emperor of Dune, there's like I think that th- there could be some crossover in the like dark fantasy horror feeling, like if we're riding alongside Duncan Idaho meeting God Emperor Leto Atreides, like that should be dark and scary and weird. And I think Guillermo del Toro has that very much in his M.O. I have to say, I would love to see Guillermo del Toro's vision for the God Emperor. Yeah. And like his throne oh room, goodness. like his dwelling place and just like the, the character itself. Yeah. I, I would love to see what that looks like. Like, so I would, yeah. I definitely mm-hmm. envi- envision a Guillermo del Toro God Emperor Dune adaptation like more than anything. I think that would be just so creepy and sick. Yeah. And scary because he is scary like in in, in the <laughs> book when like duncan comes in the room and it's all dark and he's like talking to him <laughs> yep. and he's like using Hello, his mm-hmm, father's mm-hmm. voice and it's like it, that's <laughs> creepy and he like slowly turns on the lights and it's like ah that's so <laughs> freaky <laughs> yeah yeah that'd be really good it's completely horrifying yeah well it sounds like you have sold quinn so yes. this is great okay i'm still working on you abu i mean this is really i'm trying to convince you um so, yes, and I think that's also necessary for Children of Dune. Like, I think 
the way that the sci-fi miniseries did it, where Leto now has like cool armor and can like throw a door, that feels a little like, so he's a superhuman, no downside, mm-hmm. versus the like feeling of where Paul and Leto meet on the dune, and Paul's like, you've really done it. No, 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 you seriously did it. Mm-hmm. And Leto's like, yeah, because someone had to. Yeah. That horror of what have you done? Yeah. How, do you really understand the ramifications? And he's like, better than you, dad. Like that horror needs, I think, needs to be a part of the end of Children of Dune. Mm-hmm. And again, I think Guillermo has that in him. Um, the second scenario I'll hit you with quickly is just a lot of, I really like French animation. And Abu's going to make fun of me because my partner's French. And so obviously I'm, I'm super, I'm super biased. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> French animation studios are, are can be very weird and twisted. And Quinn, have you happened, Have you seen Scavenger's Reign on, on uh, Max? You're the eighth hundred person to recommend it to me. <laughs> I've heard that it, it, it's reminiscent of the art of Mobius. Yeah, um, totally. It's like yes. one of my all-time favorite comic artists. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, that's on my list. I will say uh, I I have started it. It is hard to watch because really? it is so weird. It doesn't have a a crazy amount of structure. Apparently, it's amazing to the end. I'm only halfway, but it's uh, it's very very good. But it's also very strange and it's very weird. And I cannot imagine someone out of Hollywood making something like Scavengers Reign. So f- for those of you listeners who like sci-fi and stuff, check it out. But I think point is having a small foreign animation studio working on something like this that studio would have everything to prove and something to lose and they wouldn't have the crazy oversight of some like you know like legendary being like you have to do you have to make people like this it's like screw you we're gonna make it weird Mm -hmm. i also think that that would allow them a lot of freedom freedom of expression where they could really go intense with things like tag in the t-probe right oh yeah Imagine that with the sort of boldness of some modern anime where they just completely change art style. Everything's crazy. And like that could be a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And I think animation kind of opens up that door. I just don't know any specific directors. You got me thinking yeah. about how much I love that scene in Children of Dune. Sorry. We're, we're like, just mm-hmm. go back a little bit. We're, um, <laughs> sure. we're um, Leto confronts Paul in the desert. Right. Yeah. That's such a that's such an epic scene, a powerful scene that I would love to see adapted one day. Yeah. And I love the like you said, I love the way Paul is just like, What have you done to yourself? Don't you understand how this will this will change you? And he and he doesn't just mean like it's gonna change your body. It just it changes who you are as a person. Like you now you will have all of humanity living within you. Because um I think some people I've talked to some people that have read the Dune series that don't really understand like how significantly different Leto the Second's way of existing was from Paul. Like Leto wasn't just like the Kwisatz Haderach. He could he he was so strong that he could like go back and like live another person's life and just like yeah. be there. Absolutely. He was so intimately connected to the rest of humanity and, and yet he was like outside of humanity in this weird way. So um yeah. yeah. Oh my god. I just I just think about how great that scene is and how I would just love to see somebody do it. I just want to see somebody do it. Somebody yeah. competent to do that scene. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I mean that that scene is easily like a like a top five Dune saga scene, right? You know, absolutely, and yeah. also probably a top ten anime betrayal scene. Like, yeah, spectacular. I was gonna say because I also I remember that moment, that interpersonal moment between father and son so clearly. I forgot until my recent read through about Asan Tariq being there and like kind of like trying to like. <laughs> 
subtly plant the like shield to like summon a worm and you know and right and leto just being like just murders him killing him and then like throwing the thing before it explodes and like holy shit was this action always part of this chapter and of course it was but you're right that like the most impactful thing about that is not the sudden violent killing of this kid Mm -hmm. it's the fact that you're seeing someone who didn't have the courage to make that choice and to make that sacrifice talking to someone who has already made it and is like i don't know what you want from me dad you saw all of this and you couldn't do it and now i'm doing it it's a shame you were never really fremen father oh 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 god his ass (laughs) damn a knockout in the first round okay so that's our kind of first question here but I think then you're right. People have come away from these scenes maybe with different interpretations or maybe they missed out on whole elements of characters. Talking about the Dune fandom as a whole, do you have a pet peeve, <laughs> like a bone to pick with the Dune fandom as a whole? Okay. Well, I, I, I just want to start off by saying I love the Dune, Dune fandom, right? I think the Dune yeah. fandom is like one of the best <laughs> fandoms I've been part of. Like everyone, I think the Dune fandom is so smart, so thoughtful. Yeah. You know, I covered a bunch of Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire content. I love those books. Yeah. yeah. And the Game of Thrones fandom is one of the most toxic fandoms I've ever encountered. Oh, shit, really? <laughs> Some of the meanest people ever. I love you guys, wow. too. But, like, so the Dune fandom is oh, great. man. But I yeah, do think amazing. that we have a little bit. Some of us might have a little bit of what I like to call the Rick and Morty syndrome. We're just mm. like, Dune is, mm. Dune is only for smart people. Like, it's like, it's oh, like, yeah, yeah. So I, I, and that, inter- and I even, I even have to stop myself from kind of doing that because Dune is not necessarily like a beginner's science fiction book, but it's also not like, you know, House of Leaves, which is like one of the most difficult books to right. read ever because you're like deciphering everything actively as you're reading it. I think Dune is more accessible than people realize. It's not to say it doesn't have layers upon layers upon layers upon layers of meaning everywhere, but <laughs> yeah. it does bother me when people kind of like, Oh, you're too stupid to get Dune, or like you won't get this. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I think that Ugh, anybody yeah. can read Dune, and it, and it is for everybody. It was, I mean, it's it sold so many copies because I mean, a lot of people have read, it and I think it makes you smarter when you read it. You don't have to get everything immediately, and I think, totally. um, yeah. So that's my that's I guess if that's a bone to pick. That's it. Yeah, that's <laughs> such a good one. I love it. I am also guilty of that when people go, I don't like Dune. And quietly to myself, I'm like, they probably didn't get it. <laughs> they probably didn't understand it. Yeah, Because <laughs> if you understood it, you'd like it. I mean, come on. How do you not? <laughs> yeah. Ha ha. Uh, okay. Everyone say their IQ on three. One, two. <laughs> Higher than yours. Because <laughs> I like Dune. All right. Yeah. I, you know, similar, I think. There's this happens in every fandom, but I think it's a particularly egregious in in the Dune fandom, and and maybe you've run into this as well. But like, I and I'm guilty of this. I'll, I'll just be upfront. Mm-hmm. The Frank Herbert can do no wrong. Hero worship. Mm-hmm. I think when you read Dune and you recognize this is about the danger of charismatic leaders and the idea of giving people carte blanche, who you're just like, you're great. You can do no wrong. Everything's great. Is is that's like one of the themes of Dune. And then I do that for Frank, where anytime someone criticizes him or says something like, oh, yeah, he was like an asshole or he was, you know, terrible in this, in the, you know, some of the stuff his son has written about him. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I want to jump to his defense. <laughs> Why? I'm not on his payroll. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not his like defense attorney. Um, it's dumb. And I definitely do it. Like he was a kick-ass author. He writes amazing sci-fi, uh, just amazing books. 
But that doesn't mean that he was a saint. And it doesn't like mean that we should excuse him for his bad takes. So I'm like, I, it's funny to me that I am aware of that as something that the Dune fandom does sometimes with Frank. And then <laughs> I do it. I absolutely do it too. So ironically, you would say that hero worship is one of the problems with the Dune mm. fandom. That's very ironic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I do see that. I do see that. Yeah. I, I think it happens. And I, I you're right. It's like, there's the sort of elitism of like the you're not good enough to be a Dune fan or like I'm good better than you because I'm a Dune fan. Mm-hmm. And then I think also there's the like because Dune is a perfect thing and if you don't like it, you're not smart enough to understand it. And here's why you're wrong for be- being affected by this text or being affected by that. Go watch um, Star Wars, loser. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, Leo, this reminds me of a tweet that stuck with me when i saw it one time from i believe cole kuchner who's the host and creator of dissect which is Mm. an an amazing podcast that breaks down music and i don't remember the tweet verbatim but it said something along the lines of i find it funny when people are annoyed when artists like show up late or unprepared or aren't in the mood today or blah 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 because like that is what makes them artists is like so much of their work is a part of who they are and their emotions and their lived experience is in the art. And so when they don't show up and do the art for the corporate business that needs it done by a deadline, people are like, what are you doing? You need to do your job. And they're like, I'm an artist. I have to, it has to feel right. Or <laughs> yeah, et cetera, yeah. you know, X, Y, Z, whatever the reason might be. And I kind of think of this like hero worship idea, this like, Frank Herbert or or anyone you love, you know, we see like stand culture being such a thing these yeah, days, totally. but yeah. like any celebrity or anyone that you love, like the reality is, is like, they are still humans. Yeah. They still must be held accountable for their rights and their wrongs, you know, celebrate their rights, but call them out for their wrongs and uh, understand that there's nuance there. Like a, a person can both do and create great things and also believe horrible like unconscionable things right. at the same time. Like right. those two thoughts can exist at the same time in within one person. And I like to think Leto too would agree with me. <laughs> We've talked about on our book clubs, how Leto talks about how biographies of people can never capture the essence of a human life. Cause like yeah. it just distills it down to a narrative yeah. and you, you try to plant someone's life into a narrative that makes sense, but like human beings don't make sense inherently. Absolutely. So this is me getting on a bit of a soapbox, but your note here about the hero worship and Frank made me think of that tweet, which made me think of like art comes from not necessarily quote unquote broken people, but like messy people because all people are messy and art is messy and it's an expression of human blah, blah, blah. You know, like we could get philosophical about that, but I I think that applies here too. I think all of our greatest artists are very complex, yeah, weird, messy people. So I just how it goes. Absolutely. I think the other the other thing is you create moving, impactful art by putting yourself into it and by telling stories that you're able to tell and by putting an essence of what you're familiar with and your perspective in the in the universe into something that is like perceivable and consumable by other people. And that's that's kind of like one way of looking at the artistic process. Frank wrote six books. The shortest one is like 200 something pages. It's a lot. It's a lot of the man to put into a book. And so inevitably, whatever little dark corners of his personality there are, are going to have life in this book series. And that's fine. 
Like it's okay. Again, it's okay to, to right. have those problems. Like I always say, it's okay to criticize something you love. That doesn't mean you love it any less. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Um, and then, then, I'll, then I'll also take a moment to jab at Brian Herbert as well. Uh, because I find that like Brian Herbert apologists tend to like dig their heels into the, the hill in a way that just doesn't exactly make sense to me. And it seems as if they've sort of taken on this secondary hero worship of Brian Herbert as the carrying of the torch of the Dune franchise. When you read their books, though, like when you read Kevin J. Anderson and Brian Herbert books, they have some like really bad choices that they've made where they're killing and maiming women just to motivate the guys. Like they're these two-dimensional characters. They don't really have great motivations and... You look like you have something you want to say, Clint. No, I'm just, I'm just totally agreeing. <laughs> I, I see you adjusting your glasses, like. <clears throat> I'm just, I'm just totally agreeing. And <laughs> if you look at like some of Kevin J. Anderson's other work, like my personal favorite, The Ghost of Christmas Always, like a prequel to A Christmas Carol or something. What? Yeah, he wrote it's that. Okay. Thing. It's like a prequel or a sequel to A Christmas Carol. Um, yeah, I don't think, I don't think this is the caliber of a writer, unfortunately, that should be adapting Dune. They should be writing more Dune oh. stuff, in my personal opinion. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I, I just completely agree that um, the Brian Herbert Kevin Anderson books just do not hold up. And I think that it's weird that yeah. when you express that you don't like them, that there's this group of people that'll be like, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, the apologists bother me is what I'm saying. It gets yeah because like the books are objectively bad. I'm sorry, <laughs> I may too aggressive. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, the funny thing is, if if you actually hold anybody's feet to their fire in in these Reddit threads and these like posts, no one will ever claim that Brian's books are as good as Frank's. And I think we're like, yeah, that's the point. It's not like Frank was the best writer that has ever existed. There are other writers who are on par with, if not better than Frank as writers, alive today, mm-hmm. who write within the sci-fi world. And I think... When you see like George Lucas and the way he handled the Star Wars franchise going, hey, great authors write books in my franchise, you know, maybe pay me some royalties. Don't break these five rules. Have fun has led to some of the best stories within Star Wars that have ever been written. And I think the same thing could very well be true about Dune, if not just other really great stories about Dune. But there is this feeling of like, because Brian Herbert is Frank Herbert's son, and because they have a floppy disk with notes of Dune 7 notes. written in Sharpie on it, notes in <laughs> heavy literally air says quotes. notes and nothing else. It just says notes. <laughs> it says notes. <laughs> Incredible. Just because those things are true does not mean that he's above criticism. And the criticism, like, he is writing shallow characters many of the women just die for no reason there's like unnecessary amounts of sexual assault and like really heavy just gross treatments of their characters and worlds uh, i don't know that the apologists are the people who are saying they're above critic I don't, I don't get it yeah one example that i have is is the the barren guys helen ohio yes oh my thing. god it's just like why yep yeah we reference that all the time. I mean, it's, just, it's a lot of like whys in this book. And a lot of times when I'm trying to read those, it's like the characters feel like not even Frank's characters. It feels like I'm watching, I don't know. I don't even know. They're possessed yeah. by other characters or something that aren't the characters that Frank Herbert. <laughs> Everyone's <wrote>. abomination. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't know. It's like watching season eight of Game of Thrones over and over and <laughs> over and over. It's not even the characters you knew back in season yeah, two. Who are these people? It's like mom says we have Dune at home and then you come home and it's this and you're like, this isn't <laughs> not what I expected. <laughs> who is this? <laughs> well, I do want to move on because we're nearing the end of our time. True. Yeah. When we we have one more question for you. Yes. Uh, and this one is specifically for you. Okay, awesome. You are obviously a very successful YouTuber, content creator, and you've even authored some comic books I was seeing. I have. Which is very exciting. So here's a hypothetical. What characters from Dune, if they, let's say, lived in the modern world, would have success on the internet? Who could you see as true blue-blooded influencers out there okay making that hard tiktok money great great question um okay i'm not gonna okay i'm <laughs> gonna pick some characters but this is not to say that other characters can do it as well True. so so okay uh i th- okay okay so late to the second i think <laughs> oh okay make a good youtuber because he'd be able to predict like the flow of the algorithm and like just give it exactly mm. what it wants oh like, when it needs it. Yeah. So he would be like a great like producer of like content because he would know exactly what people want like and when they want it. And then I think Irulan would make like a da- great like daily vlogger, you know, like mm. as the country oh, yeah. Paula traits, like keeping up with the Carinos. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think she's that would she's work. relatable in a way. Yeah. Exactly. Like she's like, oh, I'm here. I'm married to the emperor. <laughs> Here's my garden. And, you, know, you don't want the narrator to be too outside of like, she, we've always liked her because she's a bidding Jesuit, but she's not like the best performing one. Yeah. So it's not like, I don't feel like, condescended to by her. Right. I'm like, she's like me. She, she's the C plus student, you know, yeah. she also struggles to turn on the air conditioner, you know, like we're the same. She and, me, she and I, uh, and then maybe like Marbella would have an only fans. No, oh, oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he had me in the first half. Wow. <laughs> no, the Benny Jesuit Mintat OnlyFans. I'd subscribe. <laughs> okay. Uh, and maybe like Gaius Helen Mohayam, right? She, she mm. assuming that the power of voice like can work through like this the YouTube screen, right? Like Ooh, like true. this video, share this video, subscribe. Oh my god. Oh my goodness. Like, yeah. I think she would she'd be able to gain a lot of followers that way. <laughs> so yeah, those are the ones. <laughs> Like I think, I think they make a killing on social media for sure. That's amazing. <laughs> You're absolutely correct. If you heard the voice through a YouTube video, you couldn't help but like, subscribe, and share. Yeah, and, and that's going to pump up that algorithm so well. You would smash the like button without even thinking about <laughs> it. Thinking It'd about be it. that scene with with Paul in the in Gamjabar. She would go smash the like button and it blacks out, and you wake yeah. up and you've smashed the like button. <laughs> it's like what happened? God. Yeah. <laughs> And you know what's interesting? I mean, as we know, a lot of YouTube sort of, in particular, vlog culture and influencer culture is underpinned by like drama. Twitch culture is like this too, but like drama and like relationships between these influencers and mm. the Dune cast like all fucking know each other. You know, yeah, they true. have each other on speed dial. Lots of drama. That's going to be messy. Those collabs are going to be so messy. The breakups <laughs> are going to be messy. I can only imagine like the subtweets between Chani and Irulan. Oh, be crazy. oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> 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 That's so true. That's so true. Yeah, I'd subscribe to all of those. Absolutely, easily. everybody, for the drama. Chani comments like, Paul and I are watching this together. We love your content. You know, see you in a couple months. Irulan's <laughs> <laughs> like, bitch. Like, She's like, just fuming. Like, report, report, comment. <laughs> hate. Right. Hate right. Yeah. 
Wow, great oh picks. Goodness. Wonderful picks, Quinn. Oh, excellent. Well, that was our last question for you today, Quinn. Yep. We have taken up so much of your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for so much. being so gracious with it. This was so fun. Yeah. But before we sign off and before we say goodbye, we do want to hand the proverbial mic to you. Yes. And give you the chance to tell our listeners where they can follow you online and find all of your amazing content and, uh, you know, let them know anything exciting you're working on and have coming up. Awesome. Well, I'm Quinn's Ideas on YouTube and you can follow me there. I also have a Twitter account. I cover like mainly science fiction books, all sorts of science fiction books. I basically make, I guess, many little documentaries covering like um, any science fiction books that I like, um, anything, any things that have themes that like intrigue me or anything that I want to talk about. Mm. I think I gained a lot of popularity from like the Dune series because I made like the ultimate guide to Dune. As well as just like a bunch of random videos on like every topic that interested me in the series. And there's so many, so I made a lot of videos. Um, so you can check out all those videos on my YouTube channel. Right now I'm working on a few videos. Um, Mary Doria Russell's The Sparrow is, a, is the next big YouTube video that I got coming out. And then I'm working on some videos about um cyberpunk more cyberpunk videos uh specifically william oh, gibson's cool. count zero and mona lisa overdrive so that's upcoming and then also my graphic novel the lie behind the star which is a sci-fi book mm-hmm. uh, we did the indiegogo campaign for that last year and that'll be coming out this year wow congrats and, and as well as my first graphic novel tadia will be on amazon very soon as soon as they figure out how to unstrand my inventory then it, it should be fine so that's what i got going on uh, and thank you guys so much wow. for inviting me on the podcast anytime you guys want to do this again i'm totally down yes. a lot of fun i i love talking about dune any subject you guys want to get into uh please feel free to invite me on if you would have me yeah so thank you guys so much oh you're trapped now, Quinn. We got your number. <laughs> You're in it to win it. Uh, I mean, the movie's coming up. There's, there's, it's. We have said it yeah. many times on the podcast, but there's no better time to be a Dune fan than now. Absolutely. You know, yeah. and if you're not a fan, hop on the bandwagon because we're zooming, and there will be a lot to talk about in the coming months, and we'll be sure to bug you again, and hopefully have you have you on as as well as uh, other guests. I know you're you're also friends with Danica, who we've had on the podcast, and I know you're in touch with uh, Elaine from Nerd Cookies. So yeah. she's very yeah. sweet. Oh, we yeah. ha- have this like lovely little Dune community. It's the best, and uh, we we can't wait to geek out with all of you about all of the amazing Dune stuff coming up. Very true. But it, it was a pleasure to have you on, and yes. thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. All right, thanks, guys. Well, before we let you go, dear listener, a couple of reminders here. Yes. At the end of the show, two wonderful ways. To support us. One, become a patron, patreon.com slash Jabbar. It is the best way to support this podcast. You get ad-free episodes. You get to join our Discord and chat with us and the rest of our geeky community, as well as other benefits. And the other great way to support this show is to get yourself something nice from our merch store, gomjabarshop.com. Yeah. And we love to hear from you. So send us an email. If you have other people you'd like to see on the show as guests, if you have questions you want us to ask uh, Quinn or Danica or Elaine next time we have them on, hit us up. Yeah. Gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com is the email address. We're always happy to take your emails. We respond in one to seven months, uh, sometimes mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. But uh, We are proud of that. We're very proud of the <laughs> one-month response time. We're like, whoa, that was fast. Right. Nevertheless, we always do respond. So thank you for your messages. Feel free to send more. 
uh, we always love pictures of pets as well as a bonus. Absolutely. Well, um, Leo, I'll hand you the mic again. Sure. Uh, I, I apologize for cutting you off, but you, you can continue bashing Brian if you want to. So we'll just fade, what I we'll was thinking, the audio out. What I was thinking about. Go off, King. Go off. Okay. So you know how like Frank starts with the, the paragraphs and they have all the character details. There's literally a chapter where you're just like, oh, man, this character's really angry. And then the next Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where we stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic, so help spread the word of Muad'Dib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lord Party Podcast Network on lordparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lord underscore party. We're also on TikTok at Gamjabar Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, whoever controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the golden path.